everyone, it's Dawn Sarah with this week's episode of Sex Gets Real. And I have a feeling this episode is going to be wonderful because with me today is T.T. Baum, who is a sacred intimate and a sex educator based in San Francisco. He's been dubbed a pleasure activist and a warrior of love. And he's also recently been certified as a trainer for Bondissage. And we're going to be talking about the gay male experience and coming out and sacred intimacy and all kinds of stuff. So welcome to the show, T.T. Oh, thank you, Don. Hi. Hi. <laughs> there's like, there's just all the things, just all the things. So just for our listeners who don't know, can we just start off since you just recently got certified as a trainer, kind of talking a little bit about what bondage is? Yeah, um, I'm so excited about this. I've been actually practicing bondage for about four years as part of my practice as a sacred intimate. And uh, recently, the founder of Bondissage, Jalene Bennis, contacted me either the end of last year or the beginning of this year and said, I would really, really love to be, for you to be a trainer and kind of bring this more into the male-for-male um, male male experience. Um, and Bondissage is a really juicy combination of therapeutic body work and kink and BDSM sensation play. So... Uh, it runs the gamut. It's this part of the reason that I love it is that it's this gorgeous container that allows for particularly the way that I use it for my uh, clients to be able to surrender really deeply into their own bodies and into their own experience. Um, It uses a little bit of sensory deprivation. There's uh, restraint that's involved. And because of those two elements already being inherent at the beginning of the session, it gives people this uncommon uh, openness to to expectation. Mm. So, so you know, I've had people have cathartic release on my table because of bondage experiences. I've had people profoundly experience pleasure in a way that they've never had before. I've had people move into this edge of what they thought uh, BDSM was going to be and then come out on the other side and, and, and think, wow, I've had this great, caring, intimate experience that I never would have had if I wouldn't have taken the chance to, to trust somebody in this other way. And that's another thing that I'm really excited about as a trainer is that I get to train couples and professionals mm. in, this, um, in this way of like maybe approaching intimacy in a different way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's really exciting. I'm I'm super stoked. <laughs> That's I got, I'm, traveling it, I'm traveling it to New York City. <laughs> And I'm so excited. Oh, that's so awesome. Yeah, I follow Bondassage on Twitter and I'm constantly seeing just these really juicy invitations from them on different ways to experience sensation and what their sessions are like. And I know somebody who uh, uses it in their practice and it's always seemed like to me to marry BDSM and massage and just like sensation and wow that that just sounds so delicious <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it's you know it's it's such a it's such a uh rich sequence that it allows me as a practitioner and somebody who's actually really been well versed in bdsm play and practice for a while to introduce somebody on a very light kind of intro level mm-hmm. and i also have people who come to me who 
have a lot of experience and who've been in scenes for a long time or have been in the community for a long time, but for one reason or another have kind of fallen out and they're just looking to get back in and we can go really deep at the same time. So it's, it's, it's a spectacular um, modality. Oh my gosh. Now I'm like, now I want one. (laughs) (laughs) I have to come to DC. That's right. (laughs) Okay. So we actually have so much that we really want to talk about in this hour. And um, kind of what started the two of us talking was this question that I got from a listener called Queen Design uh, with a subject line of gay men. So mm-hmm. if you're ready, can we jump into this question and then see where we end up? Sure, I would love that. Okay, so the question says, I'm a 16-year-old gay kid and I've been listening to your podcast for a long time. And I want you to talk about gay men and coming out stories. Really anything gay, because I'm really insecure about being gay, but listening to your podcast makes me feel more powerful and takes me through the week. And it's really good. So please, if you have the time or if you can, can you make an episode about coming out? And uh, we've had lots of talk about queerness and the my co-host that just recently left the show is this like super badass dyke and so we've talked a lot about like the gay experience from a cis woman's perspective but we have been sadly uh lacking in talking about the gay male experience and coming out and so tt i'd love to hear just can we start with your coming out story as a gay man um sure um so I grew up in rural Ohio and Pennsylvania. Um, so it, it doesn't, unfortunately, I don't know where this, this kid is. And, are, and I kind of want to be like, if you're in a little town, it's okay too. <laughs> um, especially now. But, I, you know, I, um, my coming out story is kind of, I was a little bit of a late bloomer in some ways. And, and very early on, super precocious and, and edgy in other ways. Um, so I had, I felt like for a long time I had this dual life. Um, I had my first orgasm, uh, the year that the first AIDS case, um, made national news. So, and I knew already that I was attracted to men. Um, and there was something about that, that, that kind of stigmatized and traumatized the rest of my experience until I was in my thirties, really. Um, so I, you know, I, I knew that, that sex for me and the way that I was attracted to people had the potential to be life threatening. And that was really challenging. Um, not to mention that I was raised Catholic. I was in these small towns. Um, there weren't a lot of resources back then for, uh, for anybody who had an alternative sexual expression to really find their place. Uh, I, you know, there was no internet, there was no, uh, queer LGBT hotline, like P flag had just started. There were, there were things that were, that I knew about because I was precocious, like I said, and I really tried to ferret out as much information as possible. But for me, like my, my expression of, of my sexuality was really guarded and I felt like I lived dual lives. Like I had this secret life where I was trying to get as much information as I possibly could, like going into the adult section or the restricted section at the library and sneaking in there as much as I could or um, asking questions or even, uh, you know, going into my dad's stash of Playboy and Penthouse magazines and 
hoping mm. that there was some like some like juicy morsel of something that I could identify with that wasn't heterosexual sex. Yeah. And then uh, I moved. The first time that I started actually accepting myself was uh, when I moved away and I lived in Europe for like three years right after I graduated from high school. I was on an exchange program and um, that was the first the first time that I actually had said to somebody, I think I might be gay mm-hmm. or I think I might be bisexual or I think I like boys, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but all through this, I was really hiding myself and guarded and, uh, you know, my parents just thought, here, I'm a teenager and this is what teenage, this is how teenagers are. So, uh, long story long, (laughs) I came back and I went, you know, I came back to the States and I was living with my parents. And again, after being away from home for like three years, um, and I was in this transitional phase and I, uh, went right back into the closet and I, Mm -hmm. I had I had blossomed a little bit while I was in my last few months in Europe and then I came back here and I went right back into the closet and I dove so hard back in and I had scared myself so much with some of the experiences that I had had over there that I went right out and got myself a girlfriend and decided that I was going to get engaged. Wow. And I almost got married. Wow. And uh you know luckily she saw everything for what it was a little bit and she totally broke it off with me. And then I moved to the East coast and I ended up in Boston and slowly like, I mean, I don't know why I was so, I was just really afraid of, I had, I had grown up with so many mixed messages and so many weird messages about sex and about, um, you know, your identity and what it took to be a good person and who good people were Mm -hmm. that, um, I was just afraid of a lot of stuff Basically, I think even if I hadn't been gay, I would have been afraid of relationships and sex. And here I am today. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Um, uh, But I moved to Boston and it still, I was working for an airline, one of the gayest places that you could possibly work as a man uh, in the world. And uh, I had all these gay male friends and it still took me a good six months before I just like, admitted to myself and to everybody around me that I, that I was gay. Yeah. And I'll never forget, uh, that the first time that it happened, I was on my way to a gay bar with a friend of mine who invited me out to go to a gay bar. And he had just assumed that I was gay and I was 22 years old and I still was scared for my life um, that somebody was going to see me at this gay bar that people weren't going to understand. And he was so sweet to me. And he looked over and he said, you've never been to a gay bar before, have you? And I said, no, I'm so scared. Aww. I don't know what I'm going to do. And he said, honey, we're all there for the same reason. Just go in, have a drink, dance a little bit, and you'll be fine. And what really gave me the, the courage to, to come out to my family and to my friends even more um, was when I found myself in a relationship. Mm-hmm. One, one of the... One of the things that I took away from my upbringing was a really beautiful sense of how to relate to other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, my parents were in a in a very loving relationship my entire life. They they mirrored that 
as dysfunctional as my family was in other ways, they mirrored that really, really well and, and demonstrated that really well to us kids. Like, you know, this is what it means to be in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, so I found myself in a relationship very shortly after coming out to myself and to my small group of friends in Boston. And um, uh, the first person that I came out to was I had flown back to Holland, which is where I had been living. And I was in the car with my with my foster mother, with my host mom, uh, who I was really, really close to. And I started the process with her and I started the process with my friends over in Europe because I knew that they were more used to it and they were going to understand a little bit better. And it also gave me a little bit of practice. Like, mm-hmm. what are people's reactions going to be like? And I was more worried about how people were going to uh, react to the fact that I had been holding something back, that I hadn't been completely honest with them, that I was worried about how they were going to accept me as gay. Yeah. Um, but anyway, my, my, uh, the guy I was dating who ended up being my first long-term partner at the time, and I had all these conversations back and forth, and uh, he had given me a ring, and I wore it back to my parents' house. With, I went back without him probably about a year into our, into our dating. <laughs> and uh, uh, he had given me this ring and I wore it back to my parents' house and my dad commented on it and I just broke down. In the, we were all standing in the kitchen getting ready for dinner and I just broke down and started sobbing. Aww. Like, what is wrong? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it wasn't uncommon because I was always kind of like the artistic, sensitive kid. In right. The but... Uh, but so we sat down and I was like, I, I got this ring from another guy and I didn't know how to tell you guys. And my parents were really cool about it. They, um, I was, I was shocked because they tend to be pretty conservative in the way that they look at the world, but they're also children of like the late sixties and Mm seventies. So they, you know, they were coming into their own during this explosion of sexual revolution and different ways of thinking about things after the, after the clampdown of the fifties and, and kind of like uh, a lot of people trying to figure out what, you know, what is my life to me and how am I going to live it? So I actually found that they were much softer than I thought they were going to be. They were, they were more, they respected my decisions more. Of course, they had a lot of questions and they were worried about me because again, like this is the early nineties. So AIDS was just running rampant and yeah. there was nothing, you know, people were dying left, right and center. Um, it was a scary time to be gay. Uh, and, uh, that was their biggest concern. And for the rest of it, they just, they were curious and they also, you know, we went through the phase of, why is this the only thing you're ever talking about now? And, you know, I had felt like I had uncorked the bottle on the genie, <laughs> on the genie lamp. And, um, and I had this, you know, I could finally just a hundred percent be myself and more than anything else, regardless of how my parents reacted, I think I would have been okay because there was just so much relief for not having to hide who I was in the world. And for anybody who is having trouble coming out, in this day and age, I just want to remind you that you have so many more resources and there's so much out there. Um, even if it doesn't seem like it, even if it seems like you're in a tiny little town somewhere, um, with 
not a whole lot going on. Um, there are resources everywhere yeah. that, that will help you along and people who you can talk to and even anonymous phone numbers in cities that aren't probably too far away from where you're at that can give you an underpinning and make you feel safe and give you more advice probably than I'm able to in the <laughs> 10 minutes that we're talking about. So, Well, thank you for sharing your story. That was um, wonderful and personal and and lovely. You know, I, I, I remember I saw a TED talk about coming out and how all of us are constantly having to come out all the time over and over again about lots of different things. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think what's so beautiful about your story is how it really had to start with you kind of giving yourself that space to, to kind of even say it to yourself and then saying it to a friend and then saying it to your family in Holland and your friends there. And just this continual process of coming out over and over and over again mm-hmm. and having different experiences each time. I think that's, you know, right. it's to me coming out and at least my experiences with coming out, you know, it was never just like one and done. It was, right. you're, you're constantly doing it. And so you're constantly getting more practice and you're constantly having new reactions and learning and it just becomes something you do all the time and it becomes easier for the most part, you know, there's exceptions, but yeah, I love how your story really demonstrates that it's over and over and over again. Right. And, and the truth of the matter is like the, it was more difficult for me to come out as uh, polyamorous mm. or to come out as uh, somebody who does sex positive work in the world. And, you know, I, I remember that whole process, even when I started doing body work and when I started doing sacred intimate work and people don't understand it and it's really hard to describe and, you know, having to come out to this whole group of friends that this was the work that I did and mm-hmm. being worried about what their reactions were going to be and coming out to my family about that, you know, it's just, yeah, <laughs> that that in many ways was way more dramatic and traumatic than coming out as gay. Like by the time, by the time I had to come out as uh, as a sacred intimate and as somebody who uh, has open relationship style, uh, being gay was you know <laughs> right. We already had we already had same sex marriage in several states. It mm-hmm. was on everybody's minds all the time, and it it had become so mainstream. Yeah, it seemed like the ancient history. Yeah. And I think you're so right. You know, when, um, like the, the first time that I had a relationship with a woman, things were very different. It was, I don't know, very early two thousands. And so even in the last like 10 years, now we see it on television all of the time and it's not like the butt of the joke. You know, mm-hmm. like it, it, we actually see mainstream storylines and mainstream characters in big time television shows like Netflix with Sense8. And um, I think you're right. We also have a lot more communities available to teens online from like Scarleteen to some of the PFLAG resources. And and I think the hard part is when you're feeling really insecure. And, and that's what this listener says is I'm really insecure about being gay you know, it's hard, I think, to reach out to those resources because you're so scared of, of even admitting it to yourself or getting caught. And that's a big part of, I think the process that all of us have to go through is, is just really knowing that like, it's okay to feel insecure and it's okay to feel uncomfortable and to not even know really what you want. Uh, cause sometimes it's really hard to know what you want until you've actually tried something. 
Mm-hmm. You know, like what is gay sex really going to be like until I have gay sex? I don't know. <laughs> what's it, what's right. it like to have sex with somebody who has a penis? Uh, I can imagine it, but I don't know how I'll feel until I'm in the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, and so giving yourself that permission to just feel unsure and to feel insecure and to know like you'll find your way through it. And there's lots of people out there who can help. And also to to remember that those people who are out there to help mm-hmm. are not going to judge you. Yeah. You no, know, those are they're, they're they're folks who have been in your position on more than one occasion and they know what it's like to be anxious. They know what it's like to be scared. Mm-hmm. They know what it's like to not be in touch with like a hundred percent with what I, what, what do I want out of this? Or, you know, I haven't even gotten that far because I can't get past the fact that it's, that I'm not like everybody else around me. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest, that's the biggest issue that, uh, bigger than, than, the identity of, of being gay or queer is that I'm, I'm not like everybody else Mm -hmm. and we don't do a good job with not like everybody else in our society. Yeah, I agree. But there are a lot of other people who aren't like anybody else (laughs) who will totally be supportive and loving and, and have the best intentions and have been in your shoes and want to help you. And, um, yeah, I just Yeah. So, one of the things that we had talked about a little bit before hopping on the call was how how poorly we handle sex education and relationship yeah. education especially for gay and queer kids. Mhm. And mm-hmm. I think that this really speaks to that of you know, there's lots of online resources and lots of places you can turn, but just epically across the board as a culture we really fail gay and queer kids in not only talking about what it's like to have sex with people who have the same gender as you or different genders than you, but then also navigating relationships and what that means. And I know that part of what you do is sex education. And so I'd love to just kind of dive into that a little bit of, of what do you think sex education needs to look like for gay and queer teens and what do you wish that they were learning that they're not? Oh God. Do we I, have another, do we have another show? Do we have 30 hours? <laughs> Maybe uh, like your top two or three takeaways that like when you're, when you're said and done, you're like, these are the things I really want you to take away. Yeah. Um, well, first I, I just, I really have to jump on the bandwagon with you and just say that I think, especially in the last 20 years, we've failed not just our gay and gay and queer kids our LGBTQ II, AA kids mm-hmm. all over the place, but um, all kids in general. Yes. When it comes to sex and sexuality, abstinence only education does not work. Right. It doesn't work. It increases uh, levels of STD. I mean, I'm preaching to the choir with your audience, I think, but it increases the levels of STDs, teen pregnancy, uh, rape culture, like you name it. It is, it's, it doesn't invite consent consent and and discussion at all it invites hiding things and Mm -hmm. um telling lies and and getting people in trouble and uh and it's really unfortunate i feel terrible for kids if i um some of the things that i what were my top five uh yeah like what would be your top like five takeaways that you wish uh, gay and lgbtqia teens had access to or just knew about when it came to sex like top five takeaways, like when it comes communicate, to communicate, number one, communication, mm-hmm. it's 
thing that I teach in my adult sex ed classes the most is that you must communicate in order to have good sex. Uh-huh. Number two, good sex doesn't just happen. A lot of times it doesn't. <laughs> no, it totally doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> and people are shocked to find that out, right? Yeah. Because something that's so inherent to our biology and, and animals don't, you know, mm-hmm. To have good sex, but we have discerning, conscious, mm-hmm. judgmental minds that that take that stuff into into consideration, and we wrap it up with our emotion right. a lot too. So, uh, good and good sex doesn't just happen; like it takes practice and it takes information, mm-hmm. uh, and especially around the the male anatomy when it comes to having sex, we don't do a good job of teaching mm-hmm. anything about that at yeah. all. Like, what is my body doing? How does it find pleasure? Mm-hmm. Um, how do I communicate that uh, something feels good or doesn't feel good to somebody else? Mm-hmm. So communication, um, uh, having an open forum for discussion around sex is the most taboo thing, even among adults. Yes. <laughs> uh, and uh, most of my sex ed classes are a good portion of uh, giving my students an open forum to discuss practices and best practices and confusion about practices and and does this thing that I'm attracted to make me weird or uncool or whatever and I'm talking about 30 40 50 60 70 year old men I'm not talking about people I'm not talking about millennials yeah um uh Sex is not porn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> porn is entertainment like the Transformers. That's not how you actually drive the car. Right. Yes. And that's, that's another thing that I, that I drive home all the time is that sex is not porn. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, because we've done such a terrible job mm-hmm. of laying a foundation in schools for sex ed, uh, most kids today are looking at the, the dearth of available pornography that's on the internet to educate themselves about what sex is supposed to be. And unfortunately, you know, I had a guy in one of my classes who he must be like in his early fifties and he's very much a daddy archetype and he attracts a lot of young men. And he said, you know, I can't, he's like, I'm attracted to young men. Young men are attracted to me, but then we go, I find myself teaching them Mm. over, and over and over again to slow down, to be in the moment, to pay attention to what's going on instead of imagining this is the thing that I saw on my tiny computer monitor and that's how I have to have sex. Um, uh, And that's the last thing I would say is uh, masturbate a lot. Yes. Masturbate a lot and try some new things. Yes. If your body inspire, listen to your body, and if it inspires you to do something that seems weird and wacky, try it with yourself first. Because if you're not in touch with your own desire and what feels good to you, you're going to be you're going to perpetually be a I don't want to say a terrible lover, but you won't be the lover that you want to be. Yeah, because you you won't know what feels good to you, and you're going to be constantly projecting your sexuality onto somebody else Mm -hmm. and and anything that takes you out of that moment Mm -hmm. is detrimental to your experience Mm -hmm. and my humble opinion yeah so i think that was less about 
about gay and queer. That's okay. Those are good. Than it, than it was in general. But I will say that um, if I if I were the the sex education czar, <laughs> in the states, mm-hmm. and I and somebody said, "Can you develop a, a a program for youth to learn about sex?" Um, I wouldn't. I don't think that I would segregate into into heterosexual and gay and queer. Mm-hmm. I think that we have a lot more resources of when we come together and we create a safe space for everybody to talk about sex. Mm-hmm. And I would take it out of the hands of the schools because I don't think it belongs there. Absolutely. And you know, like some of my best experiences growing up were when I was with a church youth group because we had a lot of. Uh, we had a lot of, as I'm looking back on it, a little bit of indoctrinated group therapy. But I would take that model yeah. and, uh, and create sex ed groups for kids to come together that were facilitated by the kids for the most part, mm-hmm. peer-led, peer-supported, peer-organized, mm-hmm. that give them the power and, and, and the agency over their experiences in a safe place where they can say, hey, I'm really scared about this thing, or I have a question about this, or I do not understand what is going on with my anatomy. And um, is it okay that I like to have this part of my body touched or rubbed or stroked? Or I'm really scared because I have this rash that I can't talk about with anybody. Like whatever it is, create a safe and open forum for, their, for them to get their, their questions answered yeah. and make it okay to have discussions about sex. Mm-hmm. And if we did that, imagine how beautiful it would be to go into relationship with all of that, all of those tools. Yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the really powerful things about this model that you're describing too would be a safe space where we could also express our disappointment and frustration and have that held because I think that's a big part of where we fail across the board for all ages and all genders and everything is we're so afraid of being disappointed and we're so afraid of rejection that then we do things from a place that's not an integrity. And wouldn't it be so nice to be able to say, Hey, I asked this person out and they turned me down. I'm just feeling really disappointed and frustrated because I wanted it. And to then have peers around you who can say, Oh my gosh, I've been there too. I totally get it. Don't worry you know, and here's how I got through it. And, you know, we don't have places where we're allowed to feel disappointed and let down and it's okay to feel those things. And so I think you're spot on that just like peer led, peer run, peer organized, and where you get to actually say, I'm scared. I'm disappointed. I don't know what's going on. Is this normal? And everybody feels safe saying like, I don't know, or me too. And God, that sounds like an amazing world. (laughs) Yeah. And it models good relationship practice because we, you know, if we, if we set a container where we're respecting everybody's boundaries, where we're treating each other like human beings, where we're actively listening to each other's concerns and responding from a compassionate, heartfelt place, that is, that is the best relationship practice outside of those, that binary model that we see over and over and over again in the media in the in the structures that we have in place around the the rites of passage through high school, et cetera, et cetera, like mm-hmm. give give us this alternative space, and first and foremost, bring the kids in and and let them know 
sex is okay in this space. Yeah. Like I'm not here to tell you never to have sex again. We, oh, we diminish the human experience so much in the models that we have out there now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Everything is about fear, prevention, and and nothing about like pleasure, connecting, validating experiences. You know, I think one of the hardest things for me to navigate is you know, we vilify and totally ignore the fact that kids and teens have sexual experiences and sexual expression. And we feel like, no, until you're 18, you can't have these feelings, these experiences, these wants. And I think you're so right that like, we just diminish these experiences and we don't validate them. And that's a, that's so, I feel like that's just so traumatizing in so many ways to feel like, well, I shouldn't feel sexual and I shouldn't want sex because nobody's talking about it or everybody's telling me I'm not allowed to. And then like magically when we're 18, we all know how to do this and that's just not how it works. Right. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And the, you know, the truth of the matter is, is we all have erogenous zones. We all have sensitive places. We all have sex organs from the time, from the moment that we get popped out, (laughs) you know, there are, if you have ever worked with kids or had babies around you, children are amazing creatures because up until the, the, the time that they're starting to get socialized, you know, at about six or seven years old, they don't care. Their bodies are these magical ex- exploratory playgrounds. Mm-hmm. And trying to instill that into somebody 30 years later after they've been indoctrinated with the idea that your body is shameful and that you keep everything covered and you don't touch yourself and pleasure is a terrible thing and uh it's there's no virtue in in having sex etc etc it's really challenging Mm -hmm. it is and actually something that came up for me while you were talking and like allowing everyone to have their own experiences and to name that is I realized that right at the top of the podcast, I labeled you a gay man without asking you to label yourself. And so I just want to circle back and and ask, like, how do you identify? So uh, I actually identify as queer. Oh, okay. (laughs) Well, me too. So I should have thought about that. But I just kind of like put that out there. And then you were talking and I was like, yeah, that was a mess. (laughs) And and in some parts of your country and for some of your listeners, queer may, may... be an equal sign for gay. Mm-hmm. It really depends on where you are. I live in the Bay Area, so queer has is like this expansive umbrella term for like everything but the kitchen sink. Yeah, and uh, you know it could be I identify primarily as heterosexual, but I'm really kinky. Mm-hmm. It could be I uh, identify as bisexual, but I mostly lean towards this side or this side, mm-hmm. or I am transgendered or transsexual in my identification and I normally date people who I would consider opposite gender it's it's mm-hmm. such a broad spectrum it's literally the alphabet soup yes of everything um which is kind of the way reason that I love it because as I've grown in my own sexuality and my own sexual practices I have moved a little bit you know on the Kinsey scale what is the Kinsey Kinsey scale is one to six. Yeah. Right. And I've zero always, to six. Zero to six. Yeah. And six being the 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 most gay that yeah. I could possibly be. <laughs> um, and I've always said that I'm kind of like a four mm-hmm. on the scale. Yeah. Uh, but for most of my life, up until very recently, I've identified as gay. And it wasn't until I 
dove deeper into my practice as a sacred intimate and dove deeper into my own personal practice with Tantra and with BDSM and with my relationships that I realized that I'm really more attracted to people based on who they are and what they're bringing into the situation than I am. Uh, then it, it has more to do with that than it does with what your body looks like. One of the things I'm constantly talking about on the podcast is the fact that we are always allowed to change and we're yes. always changing. Yes. And so I'd love to offer that too to our listener who wrote in that's feeling insecure about being gay in that you get to really define how you experience your gayness and you may find that it changes as you get older or as you have new experiences and you meet new people. And that's super okay too. It doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. It's just, we're all constantly changing as we get more information. And so I love that you've given yourself permission to take on this queer identity because you've had these experiences and now you have new information about how you experience your sexual identity. And I think that's so powerful. That's such a great lesson for everybody listening too. of, you know, you can identify as straight till you're 78 and then all of a sudden have this new experience that opens your world a little bit and realize, well, maybe this identity doesn't work for me anymore and that's mm-hmm. okay. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, I just, I want to remind people who might be listening out there exactly what you said, like sex is, is a very subjective experience and there's no right way to do it. There's no, it's one of the, when I'm teaching classes, my students are they're you know, they're very much stuck on the notion that I'm going to come in here, I'm going to get this information, it's going to be the right way to do it, and then I'm going to go out and do it. And one of the, the first thing that I say in almost every single section of the series is, these are some suggestions about things that you might try that may be an improvement on something that you already have. You might learn something, you might not learn something. But it gives you permission to go out and try it and see what does work for you. The way that I do it might not work for you. You might find your own way that works so much better. I cannot stress enough, be adventurous and creative in the way that you explore your sexuality. Um, and just as a, as a side note, although I identify as queer now, both of my relationships at the moment are with men. My long, my hu- I'm married to a man. We've been together for almost 16 years. I love him to bit. <laughs> uh, you know, and my other partner is also male. Uh, and I tend to grab I still tend to gravitate more towards the male end of the spectrum, but I don't want to, I don't want to limit myself yeah. in, in the opportunities that come my way. Um, and, and I think that it's important to, to be adventurous and explore. We have these beautiful bodies in this consciousness that just bubbles up from, from every cell in our bodies mm-hmm. and it, and we deserve to go out and explore that. I think. Well, I would love to use exactly what you just said about all of the things that our bodies are capable of and exploring to, to start talking a little bit about um, your work as a sacred intimate. Yes. And listeners who have been listening a long time have heard my story of my session with a sacred intimate that I had last year, a year and a half ago, that was just utterly transformative and healing. And I can't wait to go back. And so I would love for you to share with our listeners, what is a sacred intimate and kind of what drew you into this work? I'm going to answer the first question, the last, the second question first, because it's easier. (laughs) Okay. Um, what drew me into this work? So the, so, uh, 
the husband I was just talking about. <laughs> Uh, kind of created a monster in some ways. Uh, when we first got together, he had done similar work when he was much younger. And uh, when we found each other, I was in this kind of renaissance phase in my life. I had gone back to school. I'd gotten out of my first relationship. Like all of this stuff was was reemerging. And part of that also had to do with my sexuality. And he and I had, he was one of the first people who I met who actually paid attention to sex as a way of communicating in a way that I did was really, really foreign to me. And, uh, and I would ask him on, on so many occasions, like, how did you learn this? Or how did you find out about this? And he would say, well, you should probably go check out something like the body electric school, or they have this place that you can go to and it's a group of guys and, and it would be amazing and you should go do it. And we've always been open. So, open in our relationship and able to see other people. So it's been, that's never been an issue in our relationship. Mm -hmm. And I know that for some of my clients and for some of the people that I talk to, it is. So I was really fortunate that I had this partner who was kind of like pushing me uh, toward this, this experience. And I went to my first body electric workshop and I came back and I had this whole other school track and art track that I was working toward. And I came back so confused because <laughs> I had this amazing experience. And for most people who come back from their first body electric, the, the, um, the experience is about being able to let go and receive as fully as you possibly can and learn all of this new ways of being in your body. And that was great. But for me, the most profound part was when I was giving to other people something in me opened up and oh, like, oh, wow. I was able to just be present in a way that I didn't even know was possible. So I came home and I just chewed on that and chewed on that. And I called up the facilitator of my program and he told me to call the school. And over a long like year, 18 month period post that one experience, I found that I, I really needed to do this work. I wanted to to show other people the capacity and the possibilities for uh, fully inhabiting their bodies and owning their erotic experiences and uh, creating unique and, and profound sexual experiences for themselves. And that we all have the power to do this. So at that time, the track to becoming a sacred intimate didn't really exist in a clear-cut fashion. <laughs> So I found myself working a lot individually with people who are either already working as sacred intimates or who, uh, you know, Joseph Kramer, who was the founder of the Body Electric School, was somebody who came into my sphere of influence probably about halfway through my practice. And I started working with him. I worked with Barbara Corellis for a little bit out of New York um, and, and other less well-known people who had very profound and very impactful practices of their own. And along the way, every single time, uh, I was reassured that I was doing good work and that if I had any questions, all I needed to do was pick up the phone. And, and I got a lot of body work and a lot of sessions from other sacred intimates too. Uh -huh. And that's how my practice developed. And it's a really, it's challenging because it fits, it's kind of in this gray area of to go back to your first question, mm -hmm. what a sacred intimate does is really varied. I love there's this article by a beautiful 
brother of mine in this work named Don Shuey in New York. And he opens up by saying, you know, your sacred intimate is your, your father, your confessor, your priest, your nurse, your doctor, your healer, um, your sacred prostitute. You're, like we, we wear all of these hats when we go into session with people. So, you know, many times I'll be offering a talk session with somebody and that's all we do the entire time. Um, there might be some hands-on work, there's body work, there's, it's, it's essentially what I, if I have to encapsulate it into an elevator speech for people, I create a safe container for my clients to come in and expand and explore the answers to their own embodiment and sexuality that are already inside of them Mm -hmm. and reflect positively back what, uh, what will work for them in the future. Um, and it's really profound and amazing work. I'm so privileged and fortunate and delighted to be able to do it. Oh, my God. I can't <laughs> tell you. <laughs> How wonderful to do work that you just feel so aligned with and excited about. You know, I mean, that's regardless of what the work is, I feel like that's such a beautiful gift and privilege that so many of us never get an opportunity to experience. So mm-hmm. how wonderful. I know one of the things that for me was really um, intimidating and scary and challenging and at the same time liberating in my session was this constant checking in about what I wanted and what my desire was. Mm -hmm. And it was it was so like beautiful, but at the same time, really scary to actually have to show up in a way and check in with myself and actually say, well, this is what I want, or this is what's inside of me that I really would love in this moment. And then to have that received. And, um, I think it's interesting that that can be so scary for so many of us to actually like share with our, with someone, anyone, here's what I really want and to be held in that. Yeah, it's it's challenging because we're not, you know, going back to that just the discussion that we were having at the top of the show um with the way that that sex is sex and relationships are modeled for us, mm-hmm. it's always about putting myself out there's we're we're given this idea that there's virtue in putting myself out there for another person and denying my own desire, mm-hmm. denying my own needs and wants and not only denying them but uh, really taking to heart this notion that if I risk asking you for what I want, it may be rejected and that's a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It's actually not a bad thing mm-hmm. because if I don't ever talk to you about it, you're never going to know. And we're and then we're stuck in this endless spiral of trying to read each other's minds and I'm going to feel out your energy and you don't really talk that much, but it's okay. I'll pay attention to you in these other ways, or I'll just do these things that feel good to me, mm-hmm. to you. Yeah. And just assume that it's okay. And if neither of us are talking about, yes, that feels good. No, I really love it when you do this thing to me. When I do this to myself, it feels really good. I'm curious about how it would be if we interacted and brought that into the way that we interact as a couple. Again, I go back to the communication part of being in relationship and how important that is. But it is very scary to ask for what you want uh, because most of us, our experience is uh, rejection around that. And I think we bring that into that that paradigm all the time. Uh, Most of the time when I'm working with somebody for the very, very first time, 
uh, it's really about offering them some loving body work and some loving touch. Mm -hmm. And the invitation is, I'm going to have a conversation with your body through my hands right now. And your only job is to receive that Mm -hmm. as much as you can and try to stay present with the, with receiving so that you're paying attention to how your body is responding and where pleasure might arise in your body in different ways that you're not used to. Um, so we do a lot of breath work in my sessions. We do a lot of let go of your mind, come into your body, like let, let the body inform dictate where our next phase of the session is going to go. Yeah. Uh, and that can be challenging for people too, but yes. it's really, but when it works, it's, so um, it's so beautiful <laughs> it's so beautiful even from the facilitator standpoint it's so beautiful yeah one of the things that really struck me about your website um which of course we'll link to on sexgetsreal.com uh is how you talk about the power of really owning your erotic experience and really living from a place of understanding your your sexual self and your sexual being and and just kind of how our sexual experience can inform so much of our lives. But so many of us are cut off from that or we reserve it for just these moments that we're maybe with a partner in a bedroom. And then we wonder why we can't really surrender in those moments. Mm-hmm. And so like, what has your experience been in helping people to really give themselves that permission? Like, what is it like to help someone find their way through the shame and the blocks so that they can really blossom in that way? What is it like? Mm -hmm. Um, It's different every single time. (laughs) Uh, So that's the first thing that pops into my mind is it's different with everybody. Um, Even if it looks, even if 90% of it is similar, there's the 10% that's unique to you. And that's probably the most special part, right? Mm -hmm. Is that, uh, that it's unique to you and your expression of your sexuality is always unique to you. What it's like is, is like really watching somebody. I had a, I had a client come to me recently and say to say, I'm so afraid of losing the person who I know. Hmm. Uh, and I said, okay, that's a valid fear. But instead of uh, thinking about it in a, in terms that you're losing something, imagine that you're actually becoming a more, uh, authentic and more powerful version of that person, because that's really what it's like. Like I see, I see people come in with the, you know, the very superficial things about the mechanics of sex, and as we start talking and as we start uncovering the trauma or the shame or the the stories that we all have about what sex is and how we inhabit it in our bodies and what we're willing to do and not willing to do and the edges that we're meeting. And we start pushing it against some of that stuff and breaking it down. Just seeing somebody walk in and be more comfortable in their body and make decisions from a place that's not their head or their narrative about the world or try new, th- have, the, have, the empower- have the confidence because they've been exploring their own sexuality, have the confidence to bring that back into a relationship and invite a partner into a conversation where they actually start feeling more intimate and more connected for the first time in years, those, I mean, what is it, what is it like? It's the most beautiful experience. I mean, I'm a big fan of compersion anyway. And for those of you who don't know what compersion is, it's, I find a lot of pleasure in other people's pleasure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So, 
so I'm always the biggest, you know, I'm always the biggest cheerleader in my relationships when it comes to like the successes and the, and the, and the pleasure that my partners are seeking. And, and I bring that into my practice a lot too. So for someone who's been really struggling with figuring out what they want and just not really knowing how to tap into that, do you have any like tips or recommendations so that they can maybe try and really hear that voice inside of their body? Um, yeah, the first thing that I would say is create time for pleasuring yourself. Mm. A lot of times, uh, when we are not taught to masturbate as young people, and in fact, it's frowned upon, we have what many of my teachers and I call the quick and quiet method. <laughs> I, I know that. Yes. You know, so it's like, it's a stress reliever. We learn it when we're first becoming sexualized as as young adults uh that it's not safe to do it out in the open in front of people or even in the bedroom with my door closed because somebody is going to be suspicious somewhere and interrupt me so i have to sneak off into this dark place and be really quiet and be really quick about it and then it's done and i have my orgasm and um you know don't make the goal your orgasm make the goal an exploration of what feels good to you uh set some time aside give yourself a little sex date breathe. Yes, breathe. I would, I would almost say, and, and I do this with my clients a lot, we open up our sessions with a little bit of a meditation to bring them out of their heads and down into their bodies. And listen to your body. That's such a foreign concept. We do not like our bodies in this culture. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like we, we're forced to carry around this sack of flesh until we're ready to <laughs> kick it. <laughs> And really, it's like, no, this is it. This is where your experience is happening. You should listen to it. And be curious. You know, enter this. And you only have to do it a couple of times. It doesn't have to be every single time I sit down to masturbate or every single time I'm engaging in, uh, in sexy time with my partner. But try it a couple of times. Slow down. Set time aside. Make that the only thing that you're doing. You know, turn your phone off turn, you know, don't be having a load of laundry going, don't be in the middle of your work day, set time aside, make it about curiosity, make it about consciousness and remember to breathe. The remembering to breathe part, I think is so important and so overlooked by so many of us, you know, I mean, I know that I have, uh, I have the habit of not breathing when I'm stressed. And I also have the same habit of, um, tensing up and not breathing when I'm in certain types of sexual pleasure mm -hmm. and to actually remind myself to like breathe and relax into my belly totally changes the experience. Right. If you're, if you're approaching your sexual experience from that belly place, your experience will be altered. Even if it's altered slightly, you'll notice the difference. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I remind my clients every, every session that I'm in, no matter who it is, is the suggestion that we breathe into sensation. So if something takes us by surprise or something comes as unexpected, our normal uh, reaction is to tense up and, and hold our breath. Yep. And the invitation in session with me is to breathe into that experience, see, you know, investigate it. Our breath gives us a moment of pause. It gives us an opportunity to investigate, and it actually gives us an opportunity to open up and invite whatever that thing is that took us by surprise into our experience. And from that place, we can decide, did I like it? Do I want more of it? 
uh, did it feel good? Do I never, ever, ever want to do it again? Mm -hmm. Was it really something that was shocking and, and, uh, repulsive to me or was it the surprise element of it that, that kind of pulled me into this, you know, we can use, we can use that heightened state of awareness and that little shot of adrenaline that pops in there when we combine it with breath to actually be more aware of all the nuance and the subtlety of what's actually going on. Oh, I love that so much. Well, we have definitely filled our hour and there's still like so many other things on our list and the other questions and oh my God. But um, I'd love to know, do you have any parting thoughts for our listeners? And then after that, if you could uh, share with everybody how they can stay in touch with you online and social media, that would be wonderful. So parting thoughts, be kind and generous to yourself first and then bring that into your relationship. Uh, remember to breathe. I can't stress that enough. Yes. Um, and listen to your body. If your body is saying no, it's usually a, a pretty good indication that it's no. If your body is saying yes and your mind is still saying no, follow your body first. Mm. Um, uh, and be true to yourself. Just yeah. be true to yourself. And, and I think that most of us want the best for each other. And that's been a really good premise for me to, to move forward with in all my relationships. Um, yeah. And if you're interested in finding out more about what I do, yes, um, you can follow me on Twitter at Integral Eros, mm-hmm. all one word. Uh, if you Google TT Bomb, uh, I come up everywhere. And if you just want to go straight to my website, it's www.integral-eros.com. And there's a brand new version of the website that just launched this week. And I'm super excited about it because it's friendly and easy to navigate and kind of sexy. And um, it talks about all of the stuff that I'm doing. And you can also subscribe to my newsletter there. And you, then you'll get updates every month. Um, I just sent a newsletter out this morning. So Yay! Yeah. That included your review of a new sex toy. Yeah, the blue is. <laughs> Well, I will have all of TT's links on sexgetsreal.com for this episode, so be sure to check it out. If you have any comments or questions that you'd like to send in, please also go to sexgetsreal.com and use the contact form. You can send questions in anonymously. And I am, of course, over on Twitter and Facebook as Sex Gets Real. So thank you so much for listening this week. And TT, thank you so much for joining in this conversation and helping me to field this question and just sharing so much rich discussion about sex and education and bodies. And this just felt really wonderful to, to do with you. Thanks so much, Donna. I'm so excited to, yeah, I'll yeah. come back anytime you want. Yay. Okay, good. Because there's so much more. So yeah, thank you to everybody. And thank you, TT. And I will talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs>